Hello everyone and welcome to episode 112 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Dave has been playing FIFA, Kel Surprise, Mark has been playing something that isn't Dad of War, Fortnite are being sued by their rival game Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, we bid farewell to Total Biscuit, and in the book club this week we're talking about the first game Dave ever owned for the Nintendo 64, it's Diddy Kong Racing. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, episode 112, from your friends at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, our policy is still fuck Spotify, by the way. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined, as ever, by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this week? I'm fine. I'm more concerned about you. You sound like you have been busy, you've been tearing the house apart, you've just you feel yeah. like you've really been kind of doing a cleanse of the soul, but through the medium of your house. <laughs> yeah, so uh I'm in the process of like so all you guys have moved out now. So it's just my stuff left and I need to kind of figure out what stuff is going to stay, what stuff is going to go before uh my partner Emma moves her stuff in. Um, so the last couple of days have been all about um, kind of making piles. This stuff is garbage. This stuff is being kept and this stuff is being given to charity. Uh, and as I was saying to you, I, I, I cleared out about half a I have a wardrobe that's set into the wall in my room. Um, that was absolutely rammed with I was finding shirts in there, like actual dress shirts that I must have bought when I was fucking 16. Um, like I distinctly remember going to like my very first job interview in one um so like that stuff can all get binned um and then as i was telling you i was finding like all sorts of t-shirts i bought at gigs back in the day so like i found uh, a klaxons t-shirt circa 2005 a um a strokes t-shirt circa first impressions of earth tour uh a forward russia t-shirt uh, who are a, a low-key fave of both uh, myself and Jack Lazell. You like them I, as well. I always forget that they're uh, they're one of your boys. Yeah, they're they're one of the ones. It was so weird because like growing up here in Ireland, I never heard anyone talk about Forward Russia, and I was a huge fan, particularly that first I'll, album. I'll be honest, Dave. It was pretty much the same back home as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading about them in like Hot Press or NME or something like that, and then seeing the. Um, the the album for sale as i was telling jack uh on facebook during the week uh there was a cd shop near my house that that did a three lps for 22 quid deal Mm -hmm. and it was either like new albums kind of classic albums or sometimes like compilations and stuff and the cds are the next thing i have to go through but uh yeah that's gonna uh, be fun uh, yeah, was it Give Me a Wall that the album is yeah, called, yeah, yeah. I think, that, that first Forbrush yeah. album? It's, a, it's an absolute belter. Um, so yeah, I found that. Uh, I, I still have some t-shirts, like band t-shirts of mine, that have survived the test of time. Like, I still have a Cure Boys Don't Cry t-shirt that I've had, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, since I was about 16. But I had yeah. I had two Nirvana t-shirts. So I had the classic, like, black and yellow smiley face, and then I had the sort of inverse white t-shirt, black smiley face. 
and just at some point in like my travels those t-shirts have just disappeared and i don't know whether mm. it's my nan got sick of me wearing that pretty much every day and just kind of like while i wasn't paying attention got rid of them but like the the you know the one band that i would probably have a t-shirt of more than anyone else it just they they're gone they've disappeared yeah. Uh, yeah uh i got that particular forward russia t-shirt this will tell you this will date me um I got it when I went to see an MTV tour, an MTV2 tour. Do you remember when MTV2 was really cool? I do. Uh, so I went to see an MTV2 tour that was headlined by Wolfmother, who I think had literally just released their first album at that point, supported by Forward Russia, Fields, and I want to say Be Your Own Pet, but I, I'm not sure. So it was like... I don't that's, know that's a... That's a <laughs> that's mid two thousands indie rock for you, I guess. Cause yeah, that is, yeah. Uh, that's a mix. I remember um, I was reading about the Kerrang Awards back in I want to say like two thousand and four, two thousand and five, uh-huh. and they had the award for best new band. And in the category, there were I can't remember who a bunch of them were, but the two that I remember, one was Velvet Revolver. And the other, oh, I yeah, I have that album. And the other one was your code name is Milo, who. Oh yeah. And now one of these bands are not like the other, and um, I I think it was your code name is Milo who won it. But basically, everyone around us were like, who the f-? or everyone that was in like the event were all like, who the fuck is your code name is Milo? Because you know who the fuck were your code name is Milo except yeah. a bunch of Geordies. Uh, and I think they did beat Velvet Revolver for that award, which I enjoyed greatly because I really liked that first uh, Milo album, and I really didn't like that Velvet Revolver album outside of Sliver. What's... Yeah, that that's that's pretty good. I, I like mean, that song was that was that an eponymous first album? I can't remember. Like it was was it self titled? Uh, I can't remember it having a name. But, uh, yeah, probably. But that that first Velvet Revolver album, that that one song is good, but then the rest of it is just like. And then it's like. It's... It's like, oh, fall to pieces. Oh, you're not trying to be sweet child of mine at all, are you? Yeah, it's kind of like we said, uh, I don't know if we said it on air, but we said it off air. Like, you kind of go through your Guns N' Roses phase, and then most people grow out of it. Um, And that very, very much Velvet Revolver is is in keeping with that. But yeah, like, <laughs> the, the mid-2000s band t-shirts that I have, like, I'd say there's still, like, some really weird ones in there. I'm pretty sure I have a Regina Spectre t- t-shirt somewhere, <laughs> and, um, like, I'll, I'll periodically either text text a picture of the t-shirt or just text the name of a band that comes into my mind uh, just to pop jack, because we, we love to have an obscure 2000s indie band off sometimes so like, yeah. hey remember remember get cape wear cape fly i i uh <laughs> lightspeed champion is the one i tend to go to for obscure bands or test icicles being the or the non yeah. offshoot the reverse offshoot of that um but i will do that because i listen to spotify at work um all day and at times either i will hear a band which will trigger a memory of another band or my brain will just literally go oh hey yeah um fucking uh trying to think of a band um the holloways or something like oh yeah, yeah i remember them let's go and listen to them yeah and then sometimes I, spotify will give me milburn i'm like no, no yeah I yeah to milburn i remember there was uh just before we move on uh there was one thing like a couple of years ago so like from that three for 22 quid deal like i had all manner of albums that some of them i would listen to and listen to and listen to and then some of them i would rip to the the ipod and then I would listen to it a couple of times and then never think about it again. 
And we're so old now, Mark, that there are bands in the mid 2000s who were a little bit popular, then went away and then apparently came back again and are much more popular now with people much younger than us. So I was at my 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 a de facto brother-in-law, his his 21st, like last year, I think it was. And um, my iPod was being used on the speaker system. And I got loads of compliments because I like Cold War Kids. Because apparently Cold, Cold War kids are hip again. <laughs> and I don't even remember them being hip the first time around. No, with not all due really. respect to Cold War kids. I but, mean, I really hey. liked Hang Me Up to Try, but, you know, uh, they, they weren't like a big upcoming uh, band. I completely popped me huge on that one. Um, but yeah. And uh, the uh, who else was it they really liked? Oh, uh, Gillamots. Oh, Gillamots, yeah. That, and, and I do love that that first that album. That first album is really good. I remember the first time I heard Trains to Brazil and I was like, all right, this, yeah, this is this is really good. It's, and, it, it's really good ambient music for walking. Yeah. I, I used to love walking. And then I remember it. hearing that the, the kind of lead single from the second album. Was going, nope, nope, it's not there. It's gone. Never mind. <laughs> um, other than that, uh, I took a trip to Leeds last weekend. Oh, you unfortunate soul. Yeah. Um, like... <sighs> I, Leeds is, is great in one respect in as much as there was a there was a like, it's in things the north that, of England so it's nowhere near London that's why it's uh, great yeah there was uh, enough things there that kept us busy for the weekend I I wouldn't de- I would definitely not describe it as a holiday destination as much as I would say the likes of Manchester which is somewhere I, I love to go for a few days Um, it's much more kind of like just by the numbers Um, like here's all the stuff you need but no frills on it kind of city Um. So even my my cousin who lives there, who basically functioned as our chauffeur for the weekend, she was saying that, like, why would you ever come here? She's like, you're more than welcome to come back. I don't know why you would. Um, but we, we rented an Airbnb and we were going, the whole point was we were going to the, the Slam Dunk Music Festival, the, the pop punk music festival, which I, I, I like, it's not my kind of music generally, but I, I had decent enough time. Um, and I got to see a bucket list from the teenage years. I got to see Jimmy Eat World live. Um, so that was a good time yeah they played uh, Oxygen the music festival that was near me um, when I was maybe 15 and I missed them I think that was your Pearl Jam played as well if I'm not mistaken and I missed them but um, yeah they um, yeah it was uh, Jimmy Orr were great Uh, I had fun uh, had a whopper lunch. Uh, there's a, a big shopping center in in Leeds called uh, Trinity, and up in there there's a place called Trinity Kitchen, which is this really cool idea that rather than have like you know your um, your McDonald's and stuff like that as a food court, what they do is they have like an ever rotating set of vendors in there that come in and out every few months. Oh, cool. So went in. Uh, Emma was able to find like a vegetarian or vegan place and had a vegetarian hot dog and stuff like that. So she was delighted with herself. Oh yeah, no, oh, she, indeed she is. Wow. Um, a couple of years now, but uh, then oh, yeah, she's I found... all for the the animals and the pets, isn't she? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, that, yeah. Uh, I I found a place way more my speed, and that was the Chicago Rib Shack. <laughs> <laughs> very much not the vegetarian option. <laughs> oh my! Uh, I went up, and in a very like this is something that will happen to Mark Robinson sort of situation. I said, you know what? I'm not like starving, so I'll go for the way they described in the menu. The beef ribs sounded a bit smaller than like a full rack of of pork ribs. Um, so I'll get them, and he goes, "Oh God, I'm terribly sorry. We're you know I went and checked, and we're we're out of the beef ribs. I'll tell you what, I'll do you the baby back ribs with some wings for the same price. 
by way of apology and instead of saying no like a sensible person i said yes like an idiot I mean, you say that sounds like a Mark Robinson situation, but what would happen with me is I would order probably that amount of food anyway, and then I'll black out, and then sometime later all that food will be gone. Yeah, I got the I got the meat sweat something powerful. Uh huh. Um, but other than that, yeah, it was a good trip. Oh, um, I, I, I I saw Father John Misty uh, the other night. Ah, oh, I love Father John Misty. He's a very very captivating presence live. He very yeah. much. He performs like he's actually doing a sermon, and because a lot of his songs... He, he throws shapes. He does, he does throw a lot of shapes, and he's got the shape to do it. Um, but he, because a lot of his songs are very, they're, like, they're more like monologues than actual, you know, there's, a lot of his songs don't have that verse-chorus-verse structure to them, so he just goes on these long kind of rambling spiels about whatever and he's you know telling these stories and the songs where he he's not playing guitar you know he's holding the mic in his hand and he's kind of going around and he's looking at people and he's throwing shapes with his hands and telling these stories uh and uh just yeah really really captivating uh he's uh a very very enjoyable gig very something that i would definitely recommend to anyone that likes Father John Misty or even is a, a passing interest in his work I- I saw him once, but not in the guise of Father John Misty, but in the guise of Jay Tillman uh, yeah. when he was with Fleet Foxes, sure. um, which is an an entire not a thousand percent different from uh, like because he he has a lot of kind of slow ballady sort of numbers, much like Fleet Foxes do. But Fleet, Fo- Fleet Foxes is something where like if they're at a festival, you go and you sit down and you enjoy the harmonies, and it's just very pleasant to listen to. Uh, whereas I, I think uh, as Father John Misty, he's a much more engaging musical presence as well yes, as stage presence. Very um, much. But uh, yeah, that's good to hear. I, I, I wanted to go see that, uh, but I, at the time, I don't believe I was able to find anybody that was uh, up for it. Oh, I know. But uh, should there be a next time? Um, shall we finally talk about some video games? Let's talk about some video games. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, you've been playing something that isn't God of War. Uh, Yeah, so we'll be talking about some of this in the uh, news shortly. Um, But Pokemon Quest dropped on Nintendo Switch... Um, and it's interesting for a number of reasons. A, obviously, it's a Pokemon game. Um, <clears throat> but it's also, as far as I'm aware, it's the first free-to-play game on um, the Switch. Now, because when I woke up and I was just kind of looking looking through the shop and I saw it and it said, that available to download now, uh, I was thinking, oh, this is like a, a free demo. I guess I'll grab this. And then I started playing and I realized, no, no, this is definitely a free-to-play game. Uh, it very much follows the model of, of a, a typical kind of mobile free-to-play game. But it's not... Certainly isn't as egregious. Like, at no point in the... That's about four hours I've put into it. At no point does it uh, feel like a game that's trying to grab my money. But it's definitely a game that is quite... Uh, restrictive in the mechanics that it has and the, the things that you can do and you do spend a lot of time like in the menus um, and a lot less time actually kind of doing any sort of battling um, but to give kind of an idea of what the hell Pokemon Quest is so 
when you're actually in game, it's um, a kind of isometric but slightly kind of free cam but isometric view, uh, kind of blocky Minecraft style looking uh, Pokemon game. And during the actual times when you're battling, you can have up to three Pokemon at a time. Um, but they all have only, as far as I can see, either one or two attacks, depending on what Pokemon you have. Um, and the attacks work on a cooldown, uh, and it's all real-time. It's not turn-based like you would usually see in a Pokemon game. Uh, and you uh, take on Pokemon kind of uh, at random uh, in waves, um, up to three or four waves, maybe five. Um, so you'll have like a couple of uh, Caterpillar, uh, Caterpie, Caterpie, Uh, and then a couple of uh, goldines or whatever and it escalates escalates like that until you get to the main Pokemon that you have to take on or the boss Um, and you can either use the attacks that you have by pressing the the button um, that's available for you for each Pokemon um, or you can just put the game onto Autopath basically and it will do it for you and it's basically as long as your stats are higher than the stats that the level say you should be at you're going to win most of the time unless you're unfortunate and the AI sort of splits one of your Pokemon off from the others which can happen uh, but the only penalty is that you just don't collect anything you got from that round and you have to start again so it's nothing major um, that side of the game is very, very limited, uh, very much in a free-to-play type way. Um, you're really doing... you. It's weird, like, with these types of games, that you're really only doing the bits during that part of the game to feed and fuel everything that's more on the kind of menu uh, side of, of the game. Um, and, like, there are lots of free-to-play games that are like that, that are more just um, kind of, you know, put the game onto to auto during those parts. Um, and, you know, depending on what you want out of a game, that's either good or bad. Um, it's not what I would say is ideal for the Switch. Like, even though the Switch is, in a way, a, a mobile console... Um, or a handheld console, it's still not the same as just the, the convenience of having your mobile phone on you. Um, it, it doesn't quite fit that style. Um, but outside of that, the the main bulk of the game is around uh, kind of developing your team, going into each Pokemon that you have, um, and adding different different trinkets. So the the game is kind of focused on attack and defense only. Um, and you can add these, like, they're kind of runes, basically. Uh, and as you do more rounds, you collect these runes, and they will have, like, higher uh, stats. So you'll have, like, an attack rune that is, like, 120, and then you'll use that. And then maybe in a couple of rounds later, you'll get one that's, like, 140, so you'll replace them. And then you can recycle the old one, and you can get ingredients uh, and you can, can just build up your team that way. Um, but there are, you know, as usual, there are Pokemon that are more attack-minded. There are more that some that are defense-minded. I have an Abra at the moment that has, like, woefully low um, attack but has high defense. Um, and there's, like, a kind of square grid that is made up of 9 to 12 different kind of rune sockets. And as you level up the Pokemon, more of these become available, so you can add more defense and more attack and basically stack up your attack and defense. Um, But, like, I only have a level 2 Abra, so I can't really do much of it at the moment. Um, To catch a Pokemon, you have to cook recipes. 
and depending on what recipe you cook, um, so if you have something that's more like poisonous, you'll uh, attract poison type Pokemon. If you make something that's spicy, you'll attract fire type Pokemon. And there's a real charm that um, when you cook a recipe, so you throw a bunch of ingredients into a cooking pot in your kind of home base, um, and it's it, it, the time is based on how many uh, uh, matches or fights you do, whatever you want to call it. So once you've done, say, like four of them, which take a couple of minutes, you'll come back and it will be ready. Um, and when you click on it, what happens is the screen kind of looks to the side and there's kind of a little alleyway uh, and a Pokemon will start to walk by it. Um, but it will have like a silhouette, so you can't properly see what it is. And because all the Pokemon are very blocky in their shape, you can't exactly tell what it is. And then it kind of comes by and it appears by the, the cooking pot and it shows up for whatever Pokemon it is. Um, I can't see any way to kind of look closer or use the camera to kind of look properly into them, which I think is part of the charm of this game is the fact that all these Pokemon kind of look like Minecraft uh, shapes and stuff. Um, I'd like it if they kind of incorporate or implement some sort of features so you can look at the Pokemon a lot closer in these uh, in this style um, and in terms of like what Pokemon you capture it's quite RNG like you can make certain types of recipes but I don't think it's guaranteed that you're gonna get a particular Pokemon you want so I wonder mm. how if they uh, do like legendary Pokemon I guess they'll have like specific ingredients that you can obtain to do that so it's it's nothing like it's it's I can't imagine I'll be playing it for too long um, the the core battling part of the game is shallow borderline non-existent certainly if you want to do it on auto mode um, but it is I guess kind of in that Pokemon Go sort of way it's just fun to just try and capture as many Pokemon as you can um, but this does add extra elements with building up your teams and attaching different runes to try and make them more powerful um, so yeah it's it's okay and it's I mean it's free so you can't complain too much and again there are three packs that are available I think for like I want to say like 5, 10 and 15 quid and they just give you loads of um, like uh, uh, visual uh, furniture that you can have in your home base uh, but also gives you loads of these the, the currency it looks like a pokeball but that does stuff like it will reset your um, timer because you you'll you have like a battery pack that will um, I don't know if it expands but you have five times that you can fight and then once it's empty you have to wait for it to recharge but it's constantly on a kind of uh, countdown so it refreshes so you'll probably get like six or seven fights in before you just have to leave it to recharge um, which uh, whatever uh, I can't imagine you'd want to play for that long that you would want to constantly keep fighting anyway. So yeah, it's it's okay. It's it's nothing major. There's already guides for it which are out, which I find mad because I don't know who the hell's been playing it for that long. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's I guess it's the first Pokemon game on the Switch. I think is it? I think it is. Um, uh, I believe so. Yeah, and so you got that and and all the other uh, games, uh, Pokemon games that will be that have been announced as well. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that. To be, to be honest, my thing for the Switch and Pokemon is like if if in the morning they announced that like all the the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance era Pokemon games were coming to Switch, I would throw money at the thing. I would love to like just be able to play Pokemon Blue on my Switch. You know what? It's gonna happen at some point. It should. 
I, I would very um, much like to see definitely like the the remakes like Leaf Green and um, the uh, Ruby and Sapphire ones. That'd be cool. And Heart Gold, Soul Silver, and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So just to, I won't spend too long on anything, but there's three things I've kind of uh, I've been spinning a lot of plates this week, as we talked about. So there's there's three things I've been dipping in and out of. The first is God of War. Um, still hammering away into the post game on that. Uh, have you beaten God of War yet? No, been? I thought I would go and have a look at the Valkyries because I did one. Uh huh. And yeah. that took me an hour, but I got the um thingamajig, the chisel to go and unlock all those doors. So I thought, oh fuck it, I'll go and have a look and see if I can do a few more. I spent two hours on the next Valkyrie and I went, ah, uh, you know what? Now nah, I'm good. Um, oh. And I- um, sorry j- not to interrupt you there, but I just remembered I listened to, uh, I think it was Waypoint Radio uh, during the week, or maybe it was Giant Bomb, uh, and they were saying that for anybody that's annoyed by the the little mini game to use that chisel on the doors, uh, if you go into the access- accessibility menu, you can turn that off and just like one press of a button and that'll open the door for you, because I know uh, people were complaining about how it was just a little bit dumb. I mean, it's tedious, but it's not the most offensive thing i've ever seen in a game um but yeah so i i haven't played it since um i think i might just from this point on because i've been spending far too much time i might just try and mainline through uh yeah just avoid all side quests because i've been getting really distracted with them and uh i i guess just it's it's because it's quite an enjoyable environment to explore they're they're not the most creative side quests in the world like i still think for me that the gold standard in in side quests is uh, for this generation anyways which are three uh, because like some of those side quests will take you about six hours of the most wonderfully written side like a side quest that has the Im- amount of effort into it most games put their main story uh to uh, um but like they're even though some of them are just oh go to the place and get the thing like all the environments as you say are so fun to explore that you just enjoy doing it even if there's no real kind of like story purpose to it apart from like hey uh one of the dwarves wants you to get a thing for him so he can make some armor for you um but uh one of the things i've been really enjoying uh in the post game is, is like some of the new places you're able to go to so I unlocked the the two the two realms you can unlock in the in the the post game that have interesting stuff going on in them and one is Niflheim or Nilfheim and the other one is oh god what is it I can't remember what it is it's the it's the fiery one anyway um and in Nilfheim there is a thing that that may interest you or may not it's it's a strange thing um so there's a dense fog all around this area <clears throat> that's toxic to Kratos. So it kind of puts a timer on the amount of time you're able to spend in there. And like you can eventually um, work up enough to get armor that reduces the the kind of like the speed at which uh, that meter ticks down for you. But what you end up in is if you were to think about it like as a top-down view, the Nilfheim challenges um it's shaped like a baseball field so you run down the hill and you're in the fog and immediately one randomly generated type of enemy so it could be uh droggers it could be 
those annoying revenants who I fucking hate them. The you know the witches that you have to strike with the arrows so that you can strike, yep. you can hit them. Um, it could be a group of them. It could be a group of uh, nightmares. The the floaty eyeball things are like the ca- tiny kaku demons. Um, it could be anything like that. Um, you fight through them and then you pick a path left or right. Um, and you move through like. A maze of obstacles designed to kill you, like whether it's um, like spinny blades that are moving up and down, and you have to try and kind of work your way through them without getting sawed to pieces, or like a wall with spikes on it that will smash shut at regular intervals, and then you get to what would essentially be first base and then second base, la la la, all the way around, and you retrieve uh, like there's there's chests at each base and. Um, they have these things called like oh what are they called they're mist echoes i think they are which are the the basic currency in there to get really rare items and then um in the center there's a a challenge where there's three of those you know those realm tears that you were talking about on the show last week yeah uh there's three really 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 fucking difficult ones of those that require you to spend a bunch of those mist echoes to open them um they i won't spoil what's in behind them but boy howdy make sure you are upgraded to the hilt um and what, then like valkyrie levels or uh, well funnily and funny you should mention that um in that maze now i didn't it was before i realized that the whole thing is shaped like a baseball diamond um it was only brian explained that to me and i was like okay that makes a lot of sense it's the way i've been running around here because i got lost at a certain point and my meter was ticking down i was like fuck i need to figure out my way back here because it all looks really similar the intention is to get you lost so that if if you die you don't get to keep any of the mist echoes you uh you have to make it all the way back to where you started to be able to deposit them um but off first base just after first base and just before home base again they're like little turnoffs to the right um and one of them you just run down and like if you're not paying attention to where you are if you lose your orientation you turn down there thinking that's your way back to the start or back to the end um there is a valkyrie there and it's a valkyrie that it, you know the way with the rest of them when they're in the prison you have to strike them before they'll start attacking Mm-hmm. Uh, this one if you just get too close to it it will start so like the first <laughs> I, I did not know there was one in there because I'm going completely guide free um, I sprinted down thinking I was heading into the next area where there's just going to be some basic enemies to fight and I, whatever way the camera like I was just trying to look for the chests and as soon as I went towards the chest all of a sudden the health bar comes up at the bottom I was like what the fuck what the fuck what the fuck turned around Valkyrie <laughs> like right behind me swooping in shit myself um, so yeah I've been I, I've got through those three realm tears and now I'm going to move on to like there's in the the other realm there's like a challenge series as well um, so I'm going to try to do that stuff I'm more than halfway towards the platinum which is becoming an increasingly uh, tempting prospect no, nope, not a chance. Not a fucking chance. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, really quickly, I've also just dicked around for about half an hour with the new FIFA World Cup update. So do you remember, Mark, when we were growing up, not only was there FIFA and Pro Evo every year, but every like major football tournament would get its own game. Like There'd, there'd be like uh, a World oh, yeah. Cup game or Rose there'd be World Euros Cup, game. Rose of the World Cup 98, that was my jam. Um, so, and also, yeah. by the way, FIFA 18 is 20 quid on the Switch at the moment. Mm, interesting i don't know what that port is like um might be worth a punt for some people um 
But I always wondered, like, especially when we started getting into the era of like online and DLC and stuff like that, why the the World Cup game like wasn't a kind of midsummer DLC pack to entice people to start buying FIFA because it's around E3 that the sales start to lag because it's E3 every year where the new FIFA is unveiled. Yeah, um, I'm guessing, and, and I mean, I haven't looked at sales figures, but I presume that they realise at this point the, the the investment of making another football game halfway through uh, mm. the life cycle of a FIFA game just isn't worth it. Yeah, um, and and I doubt that a lot of them, like especially as the years went on and the core like annual FIFA games got so detailed, I doubt they were doing big numbers. You know what I mean? But um, so just as a completely free update. We got the 2018 World Cup, and all it's really done is it's introduced some like World Cup modes to uh, Ultimate Team, which is I don't mess with that as we've talked about on the show before. But also for the like the just the casual uh, player of FIFA or someone who plays offline or locally or something like that, it has introduced like the World Cup tournament mode with the proper World Cup, the proper a really cool i was sending uh jack the pictures like the proper world cup match day presentation that you're going to see on the tv complete with intros chirons um the the groups as they appear in the world cup the the updated world cup kits because obviously the uh all the countries who are in the world cup not only had their 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 jerseys that they used in qualifying but then once they qualified they had their special world cup kit because money 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 um so all the updated kits um it's a really cool presentation it's a really cool thing to get for free and the perfect because people who like football games as soon as this world cup start are going to be jones and to play some if they don't already have fifa now knowing that there's a world cup update in it completely free of charge um i think that's a really clever little idea they've done there um the final thing and this i've only started playing a little of mark so i won't be able to answer any questions because i know they're bubbling right up at the surface is detroit become human oh why why did you see why? i always why would you do this for better and for worse no, I've only, for worse. only <laughs> for worse no you see the thing is i really like like i i I really like Fahrenheit or Indigo Prophecy, depending on where you're from, um, until the very end, and it goes a bit mental. Um, and I really like large portions of Heavy Rain. Um, but yeah, I, I completely... I I understand and completely agree with all the criticisms of Quantic Dream, David Cage games, but I'm the kind of person who, like, I really enjoy really bad, schlocky movies, so when it's good, I enjoy it, and when it's bad, I enjoy it. Um, so I got Detroit Become Human because I'm just fascinated by him as a person and this studio and their output. And um, so far, it's it's pretty engaging, I got to say. Um, the one thing I will say, whereas like story is always hit and miss in these games, depending on what game it is and what part of each game it's in. Um, I, I think what they do get better at every time is the the presentation um not just in terms of like ui and menus and things like that but just that that system of the branching paths having a profound effect on the rest of the game it gets refined and better every time um whatever you say about the writing in some of the games and, and this is no exception I, I there's a lot more of those inflection points where your story completely branches off um even in the early game and i think they do a really really cool um 
thing at the end of every chapter in this game, which they had started doing in Beyond Two Souls, but it was kind of a really weird thing in Beyond, like the way they presented it just wasn't great, where they will show you every point in a chapter where you took, you made a decision because it won't always be clear that it has permanent effects on the game. So at the end of the chapter, it will show you, okay, this is the point at which you branched off into a completely different version of the game to somebody else who was playing it. And it won't tell you what the other option is. It will keep it blank so that you can kind of go back, kind of Life is Strange style, reinsert yourself into the chapter if you wanted to replay the game and just take the road, not uh, like follow the road not taken. Um, so that's really cool. I think the the way they grab you at the start with introducing some of these characters, like the the one Kara, who everybody knows from the the early promotional campaigns, the the guy played by Jesse Williams, who um, he's the guy on the on the front of the box. Um, the way they lure you in to talk about uh, to introduce you to these characters is is quite interesting. I think some of it is ham fisted. Like I think, uh, at this point, we've all heard about how just completely blunt some of the metaphors are because this is obviously David Cage's civil rights game um, because it's all about you know, rights for androids and AI. Um, and some of the stuff is really fucking heavy-handed. Like right in, within the first hour of the game is the thing that everybody moans about and rightfully so uh, that the the androids have to sit at the back of the bus, which is even for David Cage is the like is so unbelievably spectacularly unsubtle um, as to beggar belief. But um, that stuff aside, as kind of like cringy and and laugh as some of that is I, I think the broad strokes of the way they've they've introduced these characters are, are quite interesting to me um i have it on reasonably good authority from a lot of uh, people i would trust within games and games journalism that about at the halfway point is where all the plates start to fall um and it goes it gets real bad and real wacky but if if the low bar is beyond two souls, I am really eager to see if it can soar beneath that because that is a game that completely, completely just... Oh, well, you know, Mark, you played through it with me. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, is this, at least, does this story uh, lay itself out in chronological order? Yes, it's uh, the narrative is is much more concise, and that unfortunately means that again there's much more of the like really ham-fisted. Hey, we're doing civil rights. Hey, we're doing civil rights, because they instead of disappearing up their own arses about having a, a an asynchronous timeline, they've disappeared up their own arses by trying to make metaphors that I think they think are clever, but they're not really metaphors at all. So it's <laughs> they're just literally the thing. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, one thing as well, because I hate the the near future, like I, I hate sometimes when it's the Demolition Man thing of you've set uh, your game or your story in a near future where things have changed so much that the time in between now and when this happens, like how has the world changed that much? Um, I think like, is it? Yeah, it's um, in, in Demolition Man. I think that's only supposed to be like 20 years in the future. Uh, uh, yeah, I, John Spartan is from, or maybe thirty, oh, and it's just like it? how 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 had the world descended to anarchy and then become this really weird 
concept PC utopia all within that short space of time. I mean, if uh, Taco Bell did become the kind of prominent yeah. food chain, I could fully see. Yeah, I could fully see the world going to to hell in ten years, twenty years. I wonder how many people are making the Detroit Become Human Demolition Man comparison. I'd say not many, but uh, I I believe Detroit is set like only about twenty years in the future. Yeah, it is Detroit twenty thirty eight. And it's like, not only have has AI been perfected, not only are androids around, but they've also replaced mo- most of the workforce in North America. Um, so that, you know, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief going on. Somewhere it's very there, silly. Because it's in Detroit, somewhere in there, there has to be a RoboCop reference. And I would I would hope so. I, there has to be. Um, but, yeah, it seems very much like this game isn't going to win any people over who don't like David Cage games already. This is not going to be a Mark Robinson game by any fucking stretch of the imagination. That will not be a surprise to you. But what I will say is that if you're uh, if you're interested in Quantic Dream games, either because you genuinely like them or you kind of ironically like them because they're hella dumb at points, um, I-, I think you will enjoy this. It's definitely so far considerably better than Beyond Two Souls, though that is a a low bar. Yeah, I mean, you're grading on the steepest of steep curves there. Indeed. Uh, Uh, Well, you say that, and I will be more than happy to tell our listeners um, that I haven't played this game, but even with that, you do not need to play Detroit, so... Yeah, I was thinking about doing. We haven't we haven't dusted off the old YouTube channel in a while, but I was thinking about restarting it and just doing the first hour or so um, on, on YouTube at some point over the weekend if I get time. But uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, I guess I could be doing that as well now. Actually, thinking about it. Yeah, we really need to get up off our holes. But anyway, yeah. uh, shall we move on to the news? Oh, go on then. The news. News on the mark. Starting off this week uh, with a a bit of sad news, Uh, YouTuber and video game critic John Bain, better known as Total Biscuit, has died at the uh, young, young age of 33 years old. Uh, This is following his second bout with bowel cancer. He had it several years ago, around the time that he kind of first broke into the the game criticism scene, uh, beat it, and then it came back about two years ago, I think. Um, and he had kind of like, it was stage four at that point and there was, there was, there was only so much could be done to delay it, but he kind of, there was a really quick deceleration in, he stopped appearing on his podcast. He retired, I think in March from games criticism in general, because he wanted to spend like what time he had left with his family, completely understandable. And yeah, he was only doing the podcast and he disappeared off the podcast. He had some surgery that he had said on Twitter himself he thought was going to make his life more comfortable and extend it. And then all of a sudden this week, his um, his, his wife posted, Jenna, um, that he had passed away, sadly. Uh, Mark, I'll just throw this over to you. Yeah, so I, um, around about the time that I started watching a lot of uh, YouTube games focused YouTube videos. Uh, there was a number of people that I was aware of. Uh, people like Northern Lion, um, obviously PewDiePie, um, and uh, John Bain, Total Biscuit, was another one um, because he was kind of, um, you know, as he said himself, the cynical prick, the, the cynical gamer. So there was kind of parallels to uh, Yahtzee in regards to that, and not for the fact that they're both English. Um, and don't live in England but he was very much 
you know, I, I found out about quite a lot of uh, smaller indie games through him because part of his channel was uh, WTF, what the fuck is this game or that game? And so that was how I got introduced to a number of games through him. Um, I didn't spend too much time after a while kind of following up. Like, I didn't really listen to the Co-optional podcast and I didn't follow the channels much because there's just too much other stuff out there. Um, but, you know, he's a name that you w- would hear about. Um, and the the thing uh, about John Bain and his death, and there was there were very much two sides, two reactions mm-hmm. um, to his death. Yeah. There were those that were like, hey, you know, it sucks, he was awesome, he did this, he did that. And then there were the people that... Um, I, I didn't really follow up too much on, like, what actually happened. So, he has, over the last... Um, he's a he's a complex figure. We it, we we will not, uh, by any stretch of the imagina- imagination, take away from the tragedy of the man's untimely death or uh, the amount he contributed to video game criticism um, on which he was, he was fairly untouchable. Uh, unfortunately, over the years, uh, over recent years, uh, some of his, his views uh, have come to light and they, they weren't necessarily that great. Those particularly being uh, some very anti-feminist tracts and in particular his tacit support of the movement known as Gamergate, um, which caused a particularly kind of... Um, a rift between, uh, from what I understand, himself and Jim Sterling were were very good friends within the industry. Like they were colleagues who respected each other immensely. Um, but it was on that point because Jim Sterling, as since day one, gone on record as saying that Gamergate is a load of pish. Um, but John Bain went very much the the other way on it. He was very much one of the mouthpiece, the the tacit mouthpieces of it's 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 about video game criticism. It's about ethics and video game journalism, that kind of crowd. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because then as well, he's one of these people that you can't say that like we can't say that all his views are as abhorrent as those because there are other stories coming out about how so uh, Laura Kate Dale, who is um. A, a, a professional colleague of Jim Sterling still appears on the uh, the Jimquisition, and I think she's up at is, is she up at Kotaku? She's in Kotaku, yeah. She's the either the features or news editor. Yeah. Uh, some description. So, um, so she's trans, and she came out uh, in the wake of like when people were starting to kind of like dance on the grave a little bit during the week. She pointed out that like, hey, look, he he had some horrible views, and that really kind of like. That was troubling for me to, to know the man, but he also gave me a lot of breaks in the industry, gave me a lot of good advice when people were like posting a lot of transphobic stuff and very much supported her on that front. Um, so it wasn't like he was a very complicated man is the best way I can put it because there was a lot of things he did that were very good. A lot of things he did were great. Like he um, he talked, he, he, he did... He had something up about how he had um, there was there was some Make a Wish kid for whom his battle with, with cancer was an inspiration. And in fairness, like having just lightly kept tabs on him for for a couple of years, like the way he basically went, you know, I'm dying, but fuck this, I'm still gonna do video game criticism because I love doing it. Uh, was was very admirable and the stories coming out of like he also helped Danny O'Dwyer a lot when he broke away from GameSpot gave him a lot of advice there's a lot of people saying that like he was a really nice guy who just unfortunately happened to also have some very troubling views it's it's a real kind of like and and that's why I've always kept him at arm's length because I pretty much heard about him 
for the first time properly. I'd always heard the name, but I'd only started like looking at his content and what he was doing around the time I had heard about him being a Gamergate supporter. And I was like, ew. So I always had him at arm's length, but at the same time, like on the other hand, always immensely respected a lot of the work he did. It's a very kind of mixed feelings sort of news story for me. Yeah, I I think um, just misguided um, in certain views. And I think that he... I mean, he's very passionate. That goes Mm -hmm. without saying. Um, I never got the impression that he was inherently a bad person. Um, I think that you know, he certainly had a lot of conviction. He was convict. He had convictions in in what he believed. Um, and there were times that he went the wrong way about it. Now, whether you want to blame that on him having cancer or whatever, you know, you can have that excuse if you want. Um, he certainly did have uh, an impact on a lot of people. Uh, some positive, some negative. Um, and you know, me and you, we are on neither side of that barrier, so we we can't really say too much um mm. in regards to that um the the people that are dancing in his grave i don't think there's many um i do think that there are people that certainly have um feelings negative feelings towards him because of things that they have had to deal with um in the light of things that he said and not so much the the things that he said but the people that you know the the kind of on gamergate community that then went and attacked these people and i don't want to say that he was directly responsible for that um but you know there are definitely things he could have done to uh, have prevented things of that nature um so yeah it's it's one of those kind of unfortunate awkward situations um and it's uh i think that the one thing that i did see from someone is that they simply said, uh, you know, I, I don't want him to have suffered and I don't want him to be dead, uh, but I do wish that he could have had the time to kind of look back on things that he'd said uh, and to have made amends for that. And that's that's not unreasonable to mm-hmm. to say that. So, But just a, obviously a very uh, sad story because of how long yeah. he took. Only, only 33 as well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not good. Sucks. Um, moving on, uh, we're talking uh, IP lawsuits as Fortnite is being sued by PUBG. Um, this is on the BBC website, by the way. That's when you, yeah. that's when you know when a video game story is on the BBC website. If it's not about violence in video games, it's usually something that's serious. Yeah. So, Mark, you and I, followers of the industry for a long time, um, this kind of lawsuit happens. Um, every kind of Every big movement, either in genre or technology or or anything like that, there is always somebody who came up with it first. And then there'll be a second there'll be a second person who learned from that concept and iterated on it. Um, And what we have here is a case of. PUBG, which came out, it was an Arma mod. um, Just completely took the world by storm last year. as a streamer's fave and then it was late last year wasn't it? like q3 q4 last year where fortnite released their own battle royale yes. mode which is essentially the same kind of thing but using the 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 assets and the, and the toolkits and and the things you're used to from fortnite um as part of its battle royale mode 
Um, that came out, and then uh, according to this, that the lawsuit was originally filed or intended to be filed in in March, um, and has only kind of come to light now. Um, I I don't predict this going well for PUBG because of the the precedents within the industry. What what do you what's your take on all this? Well, I'll say this: if um, PUBG do win this lawsuit that is uh that that changes the game uh no pun intended because you know that anything going forward where uh something is done first and then someone else does something that's you know vaguely similar um that that will all lead back to this case um and you know i'm no uh lawyer by any means but i can't see how if this kind of thing has because I'm, there must have been examples of this before in the games yeah. industry. Um, yeah. So I, I did a little bit of digging on this one, and um, the precedent, as far as I can tell, for this was set back in just, around the time Pac-Man came out. Pac-Man came out, and a bunch of people started making Pac-Man clones. And it was in that lawsuit, like whether you agree or disagree with the verdict, that the kind of precedent was set for video games in the future, and that was basically that certain things are considered uh, a ripoff of IP so if you were using actual Pac-Man the character or anything like that then that was considered uh, intellectual property theft but if you were using the the kind of mode the the gameplay that was not necessarily a concept that could be protected under the the law as this judge understands it so, or understood it at the time so ever since then like the the vast majority of these kinds of lawsuits have been completely slapped down and that's why you get so many clones of uh a popular new innovative game concept so like call of duty modern warfare comes out redefines what a first person shooter is everybody rips off uh call of duty but no real big lawsuits are ever made you know grand theft auto goes huge then all of a sudden you've got like saints row and the getaway and true crime streets of la which is a real throwback um but because of this precedent usually what will happen is either the thing will get slapped down or um in some cases you'll have just a settlement to stop the like the story getting any bigger before the thing is eventually thrown out anyway um, and it's not just that because um, what are they going to do? They're going to sue Fortnite. Are they going to then sue? There's that World yeah. War Three game, or whatever. There's Battlefield yeah. Five. Uh, you know, every fucking game. Uh, be Call, Call of Duty has one this year. I yeah, what it's yeah. called. Um, um, I, are, are PUBG? Who? All right, fair enough. They've been successful over the past year, two years with with yeah. this. Um, but are they going to take on the likes of Activision? I- and EA, what, it, what no. it seems to what it seems to me um it is is they realize they're losing ground because PUBG came in and rested on its laurels for a long time it didn't really fix the problems the community had with the game Fortnite comes in and li- like a lot of people move away from PUBG at that point Fortnite Fortnite becomes the biggest game in the world all of a sudden um and this seems to me this this screams of uh, a a game that's losing the mind share of people out there that is just taking an absolute moonshot is just trying to swing to shut this game down and bring people back. Um, but I, I don't think that's the, the way in this industry you'll get people back is by innovating and, and things like that. Um, it does get a bit more tricky when you're starting to talk about hardware. So last year we, we covered that, that 
Nintendo Switch lawsuit where somebody had developed the, the control system for the Nintendo Switch. Um, that gets a bit more dicey because that kind of like goes into the, the more kind of uh, well-trodden grounds in terms of tech and IP. Uh, but with software and with concepts for, for video game mechanics, it's it's a lot tougher to um to nail somebody on that so i i don't i don't see anything short of maybe a settlement just to get it to go away uh, i don't see fortnite being shut down anyway I, I don't even see a settlement i was i can see um epic turning this on on its head and uh, and really making pubg hurt uh yeah. and if that's the case um like i don't know what will happen there where will that just be um something that affects pubg corp will that affect uh, uh blue uh blue holt is it blue holt the hell is the name um, of? um i was confused between blue hole and blue point i think it's blue hole though i think it's blue hole i know it's pubg corp now yeah uh blue yeah, I think it's blue. Yeah, blue hole. So PUBG Corp yeah. has filled a lawsuit against. So I'd imagine that it will um, it will affect PUBG Corp if um, if anything. I don't know if it will have a bigger impact on Blue Hole Inc. and and everything else that they work on because um, they I know they've got uh, an MMO coming out at some point and I, they've had other games as well. Um, but yeah, I mean we'll see how this plays out. I'm I'm uh, fascinated. Um, but I don't think it's going to go very well for PUBG. Uh, Telltale Games has announced that The Wolf Among Us second season, which has been awaited for many years now, is going to be delayed into 2019 rather than the end of 2018 as originally planned. Um, this is going to be a standalone story, uh, much like some of the the, the fable uh, graphic novels that they're based on are, are some standalone stories. Um, this wasn't necessarily going to be a direct follow-up to the events of season one. Um this not entirely a surprise to me. The Telltale Games put it down to fundamental changes at the studio is the the company line on it. Um, and uh, as we often say on the podcast, I prefer they wait until the game is well made and ready to come out rather than rush it out this year just to get it in before the end of the fiscal year. Um, I, I sincerely hope, Mark, that at least one of the reasons for the delay is that they're uh, taking a good, long, hard look at the Telltale Games engine. You'd hope so. You, I presume, played the first season of I this. love the first season of The Wolf Among Us. I didn't come to it until like a couple of years ago. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like it. It's it's right up there with Walking Dead Season 1 and, and Tales from the Borderlands as my, my favourite of those stories. Because um, I was always curious by it, but just because I'm, I'm not interest, interested yeah. in the Telltale... Um, mechanic basically uh yeah for a lack of a better term um i i never came to it but i was was interested certainly just in the way it looked um and its, it's general presentation speaking of delays did you hear about uh crackdown 3 and uh basically still exists does it it does still exist so basically um amazon spain cancelled all pre-orders uh for crackdown 3 which led people to believe that it had been delayed till 2019 basically uh, uh, Microsoft have said that that's not the case. Um, we will see what that means. Um, but yeah, I thought that was quite interesting, and I realised we didn't have that on the news. But that was probably worth mentioning because you know it's not like we ever get to speak about Microsoft and the Xbox mm. One much, um, other than indeed games with gold. But that's about it, really. Um, 
Moving on, Dice Boss says Battlefield 5's women are here to stay. Ugh. This whole thing. You know what? Like, the, the actual, like, men, men, baby, child twats giving out about it, like, I don't even think we need to discuss that at all. No, so just, just the pretext is that uh, Battlefield 5's trailer came out, uh, women are featured strongly in the, the, the advertising for Battlefield 5, and uh, men, terrible men, got really annoyed about it, saying, it's not historically accurate, which I can say to you, bollocks. But uh, <laughs> on that, you know, the whole women not being involved, but whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, Dice Boss has basically come out, fair play to him, and said, pipe the fuck down. I I don't know what else there is to say, really. Um, yeah, there's it's, not really on that. But the thing is, is like this is going to happen now. Any time that you have uh, a woman involved in <clears throat> anything, pretty much anything, you're going to get a small subset of children who are going to bitch and moan for a few days, and then the developer, the publisher, whoever is going to come out and say, "Shut the fuck up," and then that's it. And you know it, that 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 is literally it. Um, I very much the thing that I do enjoy that comes out of it is then the rebuttals by people when you know, an idiot says, "Oh, I want realism in my war games," and then someone brings up like war video games for the last twenty years and points at every single thing in them as like, "Oh yeah, this is realistic. Yeah. Oh, is this realistic? Yeah. Uh, okay, this isn't exactly realistic." So yeah, yeah, that's been fun. There's there's more than a little bit of irony to the guy who takes five minutes out of playing Call of Duty Zombies to complain about historical accuracy in video games, but yeah, how and ever exactly. Like all the moving the fuck on, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> not giving those people the light of day. No. <laughs> um, one of my favorite weird games, the GameCube classic, uh, Killer Seven, is getting a PC re-release. Previous thirteen book years club feature on the show. Indeed, thirteen years after its original release, Killer Seven is getting a new PC version, directed by Suda Fifty One and co-written by Resident Evil's Shinji Mikami. Killer Seven is a rail shooter where you play as one of seven hitman personalities, each with their own abilities. Um, you a Killer Seven guy? I, I, can't I enjoy remember. it. No, I enjoy Killer Seven. It's just it's just mad when shit like like this gets. <laughs> it's just mad. Well, it is mad, but it's just mad that stuff like this just randomly yep yeah, all right we'll put it on pc now 13 years later whatever just uh, why huh what, it, yeah like what meeting i would totally where it was had yeah i would totally pay like 20 quid or whatever to get this on ps4 and be able to like stream some mad killer seven shit um i i think the best uh summation of the game here in the Eurogamer article is from the original review it's a concept game an art house game a simple game an often beautiful game but most certainly never an every man's game um, yeah, it is definitely much like a lot of Suda 51's fare. It is not for everybody, but uh, it scratches like a weird kind of David Lynchian itch I have for some just bonkers ass video games sometime. So it's it's um it's a game I reckon David Cage wish he could make. You know, indeed, indeed. Uh, let's go to the Mark Robinson Mega Man check in. Uh, see where the hype levels are at uh, as Mega Man 11 gets an October release date and a new trailer. It's coming out on October 2nd. Uh, Mark, All right. your assessment okay. of this new trailer, right. how are you feeling? It doesn't look terrible. Um, when you which, first... Which is an upgrade on your original impression. Yes, because when you first see it, you do immediately think, oh my god, this looks like somewhere between Mega Man 8 and um, Mighty Number no. 9. But like actually watching it, in real time being uh, played um the physics look 
similar enough to OG Mega Man um, that I, I don't know. I feel like we may be okay with this one. Um, I'll, I'll wait until I get to see more. It doesn't look terrible. I will obviously play it. Um, you know, we will get a full rundown. We will get a full review. Don't you? Don't you worry about it, you people out there who are curious for Mark Robinson's hot takes on Mega Man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I am always going to prefer either the classic sprite style that is synonymous with Mega Man. Or the kind of more anime style of, um, or just the SNES sprite style of um, Mega Man X, um, because just f- the physics never felt right in uh, Eight, and I, I don't know why if that's exactly why they went back to the original style for Nine, or whether there, there was another reason. Um, mm. So it's a bit of a bold, bold move to go back in the more the cartoon. Um, I was going to say realistic, but come on now. But the more cartoon style of of uh, eight, um, but it doesn't look terrible, and that's the key thing. And it doesn't fully remind me of Mighty Number no. Nine, which is even better. But we'll see how kind of the the level design. Because the, the worst thing about Mighty Number no. Nine, more than anything else, is just the level design is terrible. Like even if it got that right, it may have been slightly more enjoyable or even tolerable. Um, and if there's one thing that I will, I have no idea actually who's behind. Mega Man 11, I should look into this, but uh, the the level design has been pretty consistent, even with 8. Um, so I think I, I, my fingers are crossed. Mm. Uh, Pokemon. We've got even more new games, as uh, much like we suspected last week with the rumors. Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee are confirmed from Nintendo Switch coming out uh, on November 16th, 2018. Um, Whereas they are considered, quote unquote, core RPGs for the Pokemon series, they are not... Uh, repeat not the the one that was teased at e3 last year the proper kind of like follow-on from um of the the core pokemon series these are more of uh what the rumors speculated and that is like a semi remake of pokemon yellow uh with a lot of the kind of modern pokemon art style and um some pokemon go thrown in there for good measure uh Looking at the trailer, looking at the the scant information we have so far, Mark, how are you feeling about Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee? Uh, I actually haven't seen the the trailer for these yet. I've seen a couple of images um, on the old tweet machine, but I haven't actually Mm. looked into it, partly just because I got distracted by Pokemon Quest. Um, So I'm actually going to go to you for your hot takes on this. So I'm a little unsure what to think about it, to be honest, because... Are you unsure about what it is? Well, yeah, I'm a little unsure about what it is and I'm a little sure about how much I'm going to enjoy it based on how unsure I am of what it is. Um, At first, I thought, okay, it's Pokemon Go mechanics, but you're, instead of like an an ARG, you're actually walking through a a world that's that's rendered in the game. Um, I was like, okay, that's... um, I'm not necessarily sold on that. I'll probably still buy it because I'm an idiot. But... I'm not necessarily hugely sold. And I, I like the idea of you use one Joy-Con um, basically to kind of motion control throwing a Pokeball. Um, that's pretty cool. And there's going to be a, a Toy-Con or a Joy-Con, should I say, that's coming out that is a Pokeball, 
with a button on it that you can use as your your Joy-Con, which is again the the eight year old part of me that first discovered Pokemon is freaking the fuck out at the very thought of that. But then all like all the Pokemon Yellow stuff that's coming in with the like walking around in the world with with the Pokemon and the fact that it it appears like you can actually battle Pokemon in it uh, like a proper game. I'm just I think where I'm at at the moment, Mark, is I'm unsure how much of a quote unquote proper Pokemon game this is or or, or how much it's just kind of like Pokemon Go grinding. The, the the closer it leans to Pokemon Go, the less interested I am, and the more it leans towards like a semi remake of Yellow with just some of the mechanics they picked up from Pokemon Go. The more I'm interested in it. Yeah, I my concern is that um, with the uh, the amount of time I have to play video games these days, uh, which is significantly less than when I was nine years old playing Pokemon Silver, mm. um, that anything that isn't like a port a core Pokemon game um, I can't imagine that I will, will even pick up to look at and play, let alone actually spend any amount of time with um, and because these just don't seem to fit into those categories um, mm. mainly because you know, they're not called Pokemon A and B or Pokemon um, Wardrobe and Draw or Pokemon TV <laughs> and Radio uh, I'm, you know, it doesn't feel like a core Pokemon game you know what I mean? Yeah um, like it seems just reading some of the articles around it that it's when you catch Pokemon in the wild there won't be like the kind of level grinding um, from battling wild Pokemon it seems like your way of catching wild Pokemon will be exactly like it's styled in Pokemon Go where you're just throwing the ball um, and, and baiting and things like that whereas then you'll be able to take those Pokemon and train them in battles and and things like that but i don't know like what the deal is with like gym systems because it seemed like um sun and moon was starting to move away from the traditional gym system which like of all the things that i thought needed evolving in pokemon i still quite enjoyed the gym system um so yeah we'll see i i think we'll we'll get a, a fair bit more on this from the nintendo direct and I think I would have had a lot less patience for the concept of this game were it not for the fact that pretty much like right afterwards we were assured that the the proper kind of next installment in the the real like thorough deep Pokemon games that's still coming out uh, at the end of 2019. Yeah, um, I don't know, we'll probably get a lot more about this um, over E3. I imagine the Nintendo Direct will will provide a lot more. Um, and I should actually just sit down and probably have a look at it. Um, mm. But it is interesting that Nintendo have announced all of this, um, but there's nothing kind of really kind of concrete on, all right, what is what is the big Pokemon Switch game? Does this mean that... It, I mean, I'm sure it does exist, but is that not going to be out till like, 2019, 2020? Uh, you know, that's... I think that's the bigger question that a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, we shall see on that one. Uh, we got our new PlayStation Plus games for June. Uh, Trials Fusion and XCOM 2. That's a pretty good month, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, I'd never touched XCOM 2. Um, I liked the original XCOM. Um, and from what I know, people were fine with XCOM 2, but not like... Kind of fussed either way. Didn't really have the... Um, it didn't pull people in, probably because of the, the surprise factor of how good the original was. Uh, wasn't there for the second one. But Trials Fusion, any Trials game, I'm well on board with. Um, 
Though I don't have PlayStation Plus, Plus, so if I wanted to get anything, I probably would just buy Trials Fusion anyway. Um, though I did see, did you ever play N Plus Plus? Was that a game you were aware of? Uh, no, that's much more of a Mark Robinson it's game. It's very much. I, I, I'm aware of it, but I, I never uh, well, that's on, on it. That's on the Switch as well. So I, uh, oh. although I've picked up the uh, what the hell is it? Yoku's Island, something or another. Like it's pinball. Yokozuna's Island. Yokozuna's Island. It's uh, yeah. Sumo Wrestling, Pinball, and Metroid. So I'll probably have a look at that over the next week. Um, but yeah, uh, I friend of the show, Matt Nine, it was like, oh my god, Trials Fusion. And I was like, yeah, go and play it, because Trials is, 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 is a good time. I could do a Trials game on the Switch. That'd be good. Uh, before we go to the book club, uh, two late pieces of news added to the agenda here. Uh, the first one, uh, just as we went to air, uh, it looks like we know one that Assassin's Creed won't be out this year again they're going to stick with the two year uh, cycle on that which I think was very beneficial because Assassin's Creed Origins was much improved on uh, Unity and uh, Syndicate but uh, it looks like the new location has already been leaked as Ancient Greece Um, this comes from uh, French site Jeux Video Live which adds that Odyssey is a sequel to last year's origins set in ancient greece we can't have many more places to go to after this uh no i think ancient greece is one of the last ones that i remember a lot of people kind of clamoring for have we done ancient gladiatorial rome um i can't remember no but i that's that's probably you're you're in greece rome is probably next i'm not really history buff so i wouldn't really be able to tell too much of a difference between the two so um, and then the last piece of news, this kind of broke yesterday afternoon before we recorded this. There's a new Fallout game coming out this year. Oh, yeah. So there is. Which I think really caught everybody by surprise. We weren't expecting to hear anything. Um, I think the two things we had uh, pegged on to hear from Bethesda this year at E3 were Rage 2, which leaked. And then they just kind of threw out the trailer going, yeah, fuck you, got us. Um, and then a lot of people have been... I think more hoping than based on any substantial uh, rationale that Doom 2 gets announced at E3 this year, and that's the big surprise. Um, But a stream started two days ago on Bethesda's Twitch channel that was just the a a camera pointed at a TV that had the traditional Fallout Please Stand By test pattern on it, and they just kept that stream up for like a day, two days. periodically they do stuff with it like they put in a couple of statues periodically someone working there would walk by and like i think pete hines or maybe todd howard walked into shot at one point and whispered something to the statue um so a lot of it was such a weird kind of viral way of getting word out of a game announcement i thought was pretty cool um and then kind of like as as pace gathered and as the word was getting out that it was going to be yesterday afternoon, uh, we had the likes of Obsidian coming out and saying, it's not us, it's not New Vegas to calm your fucking uh, jets here. Uh, and then we got this trailer uh, for Fallout 76, which is a different kind of uh, Fallout trailer and has led people to speculate Um what game this is like it would be i think you'll agree mark it's it's been less than three years since fallout 4 and to just have another kind of uh first person shooter slash light rpg would be a little much of the same too soon wouldn't you think um 
I, yeah, I, I could see it in kind of like there were complaints after Far Cry 4. Well, not complaints, but after like Far Cry 4 that people were like, okay, they need to yeah. uh, do something more now. We, we've gone as far as we can with this particular thing. Now we need yeah. to do something else with it. The, the fact as well that it's called Fallout 76 and not Fallout 5 uh, started people talking about how we don't think this is a typical uh, Fallout game. I mean, the way it's... we're going with fucking game sequels at the moment, it might as well have just been called Fallout in all caps. Indeed. Um, however, uh, Dr- Jason Schreier, uh, newshound extraordinaire over at Kotaku, has some details about it um, that rather than the, the typical Fallout game, this is in fact um, an online survival RPG. Now, he he takes care to note that it's not, not an MMO. Um, what he's saying is that he's not sure of the extent of the, the online involvement or what that means, but that it isn't a typically just solely single player game. Um, I think everyone's best guess is that the the kind of story of the game takes place um when vault 76 is open on reclamation day and they're to go out and to start repopulating the world after the nuclear war and then i think you pretty much like use your characters and the people who are in the vault to like build up community and go on quests and things like that so it'll be i'm interested because it's fallout lore which i really enjoy but tackled in a different way because to be honest if i wanted to play a typical fallout game i would just pick back up fallout 4 or fallout 3 or something like that um it may not be everyone's cup of tea but i admire that they're taking uh, a well-known ip and just doing something a little bit different with it rather than just churning out more of the same like you said was what far cry were accused of a couple of years ago well did you uh play fallout shelter at all uh no not really mobile games uh, as we've talked about on, on the show aren't really my thing um some people who are super into that kind of stuff said it was it was quite addictive for a little while but, but uh, i think a lot of people burned in it, out on it after a while unless i'm mistaken okay fair enough yeah i saw one picture that reminded me a little bit of virginia and i thought there was some weird crossover going on that sounded quite interesting <laughs> Well, it actually, um, the, the, the song that was over the trailer was Country Roads. So it is set in a... Vault 76 exists in the Fallout lore already. It was a missing vault as of the time of uh, that the Fallout 4 was set in. No one knows what happened to it. But that I mean, it you're was... talking Fallout lore, so it's all going over my head. Yeah, so like the thing with all the vaults is that uh, Voltec basically took all these people and said, oh, look, in the event of nuclear war, you can all come into our vaults, sign people up. They they paid money to get a place in the vault. But there was kind of like an underbelly of seediness because what Voltec were doing were experimenting on people, uh, doing different sort of social and scientific experiments on people while they were in the vaults, unbeknownst to them. Um, but uh, from the scant details we have on Vault 76, 500 people were in there and it was a control vault, meaning they, that was one of the vaults where they didn't fuck with people or like mutate them or gas them or anything like that. It's one of the few places that creepy vault text kind of just left them to their own devices. Um, but I'd be cool with like, it's an interesting challenge to set an entire Fallout game. Like it's, it's specifically, it's a new game, so it's not DLC or an expansion for Fallout 4. It is a standalone game. Um, the the trailer looks rendered in the Fallout 4 engine so it's coming to proper consoles it looks like rather than being another mobile game also I don't think they'd reserve an announcement this huge for just a fucking mobile game it'd be a real bad misstep from them Um, 
so I'd be interested to see them take on the challenge of let's try and tell uh, a fallout story that uh, pleases the fans, but is either set completely inside the vault before it opens or is set uh, on the part of fallout that you don't usually see. And that's the building the community. Um, like usually it's a lot more of an action packed uh, franchise. So yeah, I'd be, I'd be into that. Cool. Uh, Let's now move on to our final feature of the week. That is the Link to the Cast Book Club, where we talk about a game that uh, from the past that you should pick up for the first time if you haven't before or play again if it's been a while. This week is the very first game that I bought for my Nintendo 64 way back in 1997, and that is Diddy Kong Racing. Kong Racing is a racing video game developed and published by Rare for the Nintendo 64. It was released on the 21st of November 1997 in Japan and Europe and the 24th of November 1997 in North America. The game is set in Timbers Island and revolves around Diddy Kong and his friends attempt to defeat the intergalactic pig wizard antagonist Wizpig through a series of races. The player can take control of any of the featured characters throughout the game. Diddy Kong Racing features five worlds with four racetracks each and the ability to drive a car, hovercraft, or pilot an aeroplane. Uh, Mark, Diddy Kong Racing. Um, as I said, first game I ever got my N64. Um in, in the canon of kind of great racing games from that period or beloved racing games for that period, I find Diddy Kong Racing is a little bit overlooked and in terms as well of the, the greatness that Rare uh, produced over the the lifespan of the N64, I also find um, short of maybe Jet Force Gemini, it's the one of the N64 ones that gets talked about the least, I find. Uh Diddy Kong Racing was a really unique, especially for 1997, a really unique kind of racing game with a story and an adventure mode and and different attempts to kind of take on, well, what can we do with just a kart racer? Um, What was your, did you play it at the time? Did you come to it later? Where were you you at with Diddy Kong Racing? Well, I'll I'll say this. So if... Mario Kart was the uh, the kind of everyman's kart racing game. Diddy Kong Racing was the the kind of alter thinking man's kart racing game. Um, yeah, you know, a little bit on the kind of hipster side. You know, it's the yeah. oh, you play Mario Kart. Oh, you know, I put my nose up to that. Um, no, I came to Diddy Kong Racing at, at the time that it was out. Um, I had that. I had Mario Kart. Um, I was very much a fan of kart racing. Um, I will say this as well. Um, if uh, PUBG are suing uh, Epic for Fortnite, I definitely think that Rare could have sued um, Naughty Dog for uh, Crash Team Racing because <laughs> it's and yeah. Don't forget Sonic Racing, which they're making a new one they as are. well. We didn't they talk about indeed, that this yes. week, but um, um, but yes, no. Uh, so 
the thing with with Diddy Kong Racing that immediately sets it apart from Mario Kart, and the the big thing that I think a lot of people that uh, have played Mario Kart through the years that have also played Diddy Kong always come back to is that Mario Kart as you know, it's it's fine-tuned the actual kind of racing part of the game. You know, no one will ever say, certainly with Mario Kart 8 as well, uh, no one will ever say that that is a bad kart racing game because it's about as good as it can get at this point. Mm. But it's always lacked any kind of real depth or content past just, hey, here's a trophy, here are four races, go and do them, be first in all of them, boom, you're good. It's never had anything kind of past that. And so Diddy Kong Racing uh, tried to do something a little bit different by presenting this actual world that you could explore. And it's not just, here's a menu, here are the tracks, go and do them. It's like, no, you need to actually go and explore this world to find the tracks, to go and do them. And then, oh, at the end of these races, here's an actual boss, uh, which is completely different in just the actual flow of the game compared to Mm -hmm. uh, Mario Kart. Um, And was completely original for the time because there were a few kart races at this point a few clones um i can't remember when some of them come out but i remember there was a street racer on the snes which was a game i had which uh, i was actually quite a big fan of there was obviously the original mario kart games at this point uh, i want to say i'd reckon that south park rally would have came after um though that tries to do a few different things as well um, but you know, Diddy Kong Racing really stood out and had that touch of rare magic that Rare had at the time on the N sixty four. I I think that like so the, the the development history of this game is that originally Rare uh, designed it without Nintendo characters uh, or the N sixty four in mind. It was originally going to be an RC Pro Am game. I think it was called RC Pro Am, um, and it was going to be set around kind of like a Disneyland sort of place which you can still see some of the hallmarks of the the storyline of the game is that it's it's Timber's Island where Timber the Tiger one of the uh the characters in the game it's it's his home uh which is kind of done out like a like a massive amusement park um so this idea of it being based on Diddy Kong and Nintendo property wasn't in their mind at the start, but eventually, uh, I think as as early as like the st- as late as the start of nineteen ninety seven, this wasn't a Diddy Kong game, um, and then all of a sudden Diddy Kong is in here, um, and uh, before we kind of get into like the different things you can do, one of the things I note uh, significant for uh, both Rare and Nintendo going forward in this generation. Uh, they both mark the first appearance of Conker and Banjo uh, in any game. Uh, Conker had been announced, his uh, his single-player platformer had been announced before this came out, the game that would eventually become uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day. Uh, but it, because of delays and things like that, it didn't come out anywhere close to when Diddy Kong Racing came out. They thought the idea of putting Conker in here as a cutesy character to hype up the game was a 12 tales it was originally called yeah 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 it's, it's <laughs> so they thought quite the uh the muted introduction isn't it yeah they thought putting him in here uh to kind of hype him up for his platformer was a good idea which is funny because like so they had all the plans to make conquer's platformer come out when diddy kong racing came out but i'm pr- pretty sure banjo kazooie ended up coming out before um or maybe banjo tooie as well uh, at least one of them came out before conquer's bad fur day then which is uh very very uh interesting the way that turned out um but yeah 
we talk about how it's a little bit different of a, of a take on a racing game so like at its core the mechanics are that that you do race around the place but there's the story mode with, with Whizpig involved there's uh, one of the things I really love about it so the, the way you change up your challenge in Mario Kart is to up the CCs of your engine to make it more difficult um, the way a lot of the tracks work on Diddy Kong Racing is that you can attack them all in any one of three modes of transport either in your standard cart in a hovercraft or in an airplane and each one of those provides their own um unique way to tackle it sometimes there are different routes you can only get to in the plane or into the ho- in the hovercraft or whatever or have you um the the weapons rather than being the kind of like diverse range of weapons that you get in a mario kart game are very specifically kind of color coded so say that the red balloons are the rockets you collect one you get one rocket you get uh two red balloons in a row that rocket turns into a bunch of rockets and then if you get three it turns into a homing rocket am i am i correct in that that's the way it escalates i think yeah um a little bit different compared to the way that other kart races work in that you know you're stacking weapons on top of each other and there's that kind of risk reward about you know do you want to yeah. like continue to try and stack up this particular weapon or defensive uh weapon uh to use it that way um mm-hmm. which is a very different approach and it's definitely a game where it looks at the template and goes right. Let's you know, let's turn all of these on their heads, even if only yeah. slightly, to to give a completely different presentation of a kart racing game. Yeah. So even then, when you like you go through and you finish first in all the races in one land, um, you then get an additional series of challenges. So um, you get up. A thing that's really unique com- compared to the likes of Mario Kart is the idea of a boss race. So there's like a, a different boss mascot, like a, a dinosaur or what have you, uh, for each of these lands, and you race just against them. Um, just this little cart, Diddy Kong or whoever your character is, going by, and like this giant uh, Triceratops in the the first land, you're racing against them. Um, so the idea of having a boss race is really interesting to me. Um, then you have like, like I said, the the different challenges of like some courses. Uh, can be really easy to do on a go-kart and then are really really fucking tough to do on the hovercraft in particular uh where if you don't master the braking on that thing you are all over the shop very quickly in a race on the hovercraft um and then there's also the there's the silver coin challenge which reminds me very much of like a kind of borrowed that one it's a kart racer like mario kart and also borrowing the idea of the eight red coin challenge that you have in the likes of super mario 64 so to complete the challenge i um, remember that being uh just a fucking nightmare trying to yeah. do some of those yeah and then there's like special battle stages and there's like i said there's the bosses you eventually do get to to whiz pig uh, and then it, when you complete the game, complete all the tracks and things like that, it basically unlocks uh, a, a, almost like a mirror mode where you go around all the tracks uh, and they're flipped horizontally. So like instead of a left turn, it's a right turn, yada, yada, yada. And the, the balloons are different colors and things like that. So it, what it is, is whereas kind of like you might say that um, Mario Kart is like the 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 modern day comparison be like the Gran Turismo like it's it's all about like there's the cute car cutesy characters and things like that 
but the people who like addictively play Mario Kart play it because like the driving in it is really tight. You can get very, very good at it, as Mark Robinson knows. Um, you can get very, very good at that game. Um, uh, whereas this is one where it's like, let's put as much in here as possible and give you different things to do. There are where there are layers of mechanics in Mario Kart 8, there are layers of activities and objectives and adventures in Diddy Kong Racing in a way that sadly, um, ha- to me, has never been emulated quite as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say that. Um, and I think the the thing that comes out of it is the shame that we never really got a, a proper kind of follow-up. Um, yeah so we were we were supposed to get one originally there was development on um a, a sequel long muted at one point uh, that was going to be called donkey kong racing it was going to release on the gamecube now how um, do you feel about that like the idea of donkey kong because they're there we're crossing the streams there at that point That's yeah kind of controversial I- yeah, I'm I'm not necessarily having that that much. Um there was even a pre-rendered as Wikipedia says here, a pre-rendered CGI video of the game show, showed up at E3 2001, which is a parody of a scene from Return of the Jedi. Um the game featured a unique mechanic which involved riding on animals rather than driving vehicles, which sounds very much like that Star Fox racing game. Um or not the not the Star Fox racing game, the Star Fox, you know the the one that was like the dinosaur Star Fox oh, game. Dinosaur Planet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah, it just reminded me of that for some reason. Um, never originally came out uh, because while in development, uh, Rare was bought for a staggering £375 million by Microsoft in 2002. So that stopped the association with Nintendo firmly in its tracks, uh, sadly, because they were on a bit of a hot streak at that point. Um, and let's say have not exactly fully recovered since. Yeah, we did get a a remake, a, a port of Diddy Kong Racing on the DS, but uh, because Banjo is a rare property, he was not in that game. Um, so yeah, we that that's where we were left with. We never really got the the sequel to Diddy Kong Racing we deserved. But I really think, uh, unfortunately, now I haven't got a chance to to go back and physically play this myself, although I'm eager to. Um, but even just watching videos and stuff like that in terms of like the challenges that are offered and how bright the game is and also one of the things we didn't mention in here the soundtrack to that game is fucking fantastic yes. which should not surprise any rare fans yeah uh, it was David Wise um, and like pretty much anything rare did at that time both in terms of you know the game itself uh, and soundtrack wise are uh, just full of very memorable tunes uh, very catchy um and you know we're continuing to do the Mario Kart uh, comparison, but it's up there um, again against Mario Kart for soundtracks as well. Yeah. Um. To kind of sum it up, do an elevator pitch here. Um. Diddy Kong Racing is the kart racer that you probably should have been into more if you weren't super into it it offers a really unique especially for the time it came out in take on the kart racer genre that offers uh, a little bit more of an adventure a little bit more of a story and uh, an awful lot of that rare charm um that was so beloved on n64 and it, it's, it's really honestly uh it's one of those n64 games that's really worth going back to and having a look at it it's, it's a real treat and it's just teeming with nostalgia for me personally 
So that's Diddy Kong Racing, and that's going to bring an end to the podcast for this week. But we have one more bit of business, and Mark is going to uh, do that now, and that is to name our book club for episode 113. You're wrong. I'll do it to you at some later date, because I need to have a look and kind of really see. Because it's... Oh, here he is. Yeah, I know. Well, because I've noticed over the last uh, month or so, um, not so much that I'm struggling to find what game I want to talk about, but I really want to make sure that I don't just pick any old game at random because uh, yeah. obviously there are a lot of games. I, out I there, suppose but... at 112 episodes, the obvious ones aren't uh, available anymore. Exactly, and you still won't let me do Majora's Mask yet, so you know, <laughs> I have to look elsewhere. The day will come. The day will come. Thank you. Right, so episode 113. The Mystery Podcast will be coming out next week. And then after that, we'll have a couple of weeks of just E3 stuff. So there will be no book club then. Um, that's going to do it for episode 112 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, please. It all helps. Uh, linktothecast.eu is the website. And if you want to get in touch with us, the email address is linktothecast at gmail.com. Social media, though, is the best place to keep up to date with content as it's posted. And to get in touch with us, you get much quicker replies on there. That's facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on Twitter individually i'm at dave ryan iv and mark is at lithium project hey and if games aren't your only interest we may have the podcasts for you also available inside in this link to the cast podcast feed are the grab up which is our once every couple of months pro wrestling podcast generally including some combination of myself mark jack and the chair shop podcast's own barry murphy um we also have the Popcorn Social, which is our movie podcast, a monthly deep dive into the latest cinema offerings uh, with myself and Jack Lazell. And we also bring one of our favorite movies from the past each month to, to have a bit of a natter about. Uh, on top of that as well, we're going to have uh, our, as I said, our E3 preview cast up in uh, a about a week or so uh and on top of that as well geez we're gonna be podcasting a lot lately mark because we've also got some world cup preview shows coming in the next week or so so Mo Salah uh, should be cleared everything is good <laughs> hold on to your hats for that uh these podcasts plus our weekly link to the cast flagship broadcast are available all in this same podcast feed so one subscription to link to the cast on your podcast platform of preference will do the trick and of course if there's any episodes you would be keen to look back on we have uh, the full archive available on our website or on our soundcloud or wherever you like to listen to our podcast for episode 112 of link to cast i've been dave ryan the man on the line to me here has been mark robinson we shall see you all next week goodbye <laughs>